Well, just last night, it happened again at my house. Uh, we have a chair in our living room that our kids love to sit, sit on and watch TV. And if I were my grandma, I would yell at them constantly, don't sit that close to the TV. Did you guys have a grandma who did that as well? Yes. And so uh, they, they sit on the top of this, uh, this chair. And um, if, you've, if you know my kids, Jack uh, and JoJo, JoJo's six, Jack's three, um, they're completely different, right? Uh, one's uh, one's um, like could, could sit in one place and do something for a period of time. And the other one has to get into everything and jump off stuff constantly and, and like almost die like every day, at least once a day. Right? And so Jack's sitting up there on the top of the thing. And if, if you've ever been scuba diving, has anybody ever been scuba diving or seen it on TV, right? Now how do you, when you go in the water, you don't do like a cannonball, right? You, you, you sit on the edge of the boat and you grab your respirator thing and you just fall backwards, right? And that's how you get in the water and that's how it works. Well, I'm watching uh, Jack as he's sitting on the back of the TV and he decides that he's going to go scuba diving without the ocean, right? <laughs> and right off the back of the couch, doof. And falls and does a flip midair and ends up landing on his shoulder, thanks be to God, um, because he's going to need all those brain cells uh, uh, moving <laughs> forward, right? But then there's that feeling, the feeling that no one told me that I would have before I became a parent because I would have thought about it a little bit longer, right? That, that like, oh, no, they're going to die, take my breath away feeling. I mean, you had that? You, those of you who have parents or those, those of you that have been around kids that you love deeply, um, that feeling of they're going to do something stupid and I can see it and they might die because of it and I can't do anything to help in the moment, right? right? That is not a good feeling to have, and I have that multiple times a day ever since Jack entered our lives, <laughs> right? And so I'm, I'm having this feeling on the couch last night as I hold him in my arms as he's crying and, and, and remembering that I chose to be a parent, and I chose this, and this is what I, this is what I wanted, but I felt so bad for, for the kid, being a parent is a vulnerable place to be. And Lord, have mercy on you guys that have teenagers and they have cars and ideas and freedom, right? <laughs> Lord bless you. May his hand be upon you. But, but being a parent is a vulnerable uh, place to be, to have a child, to create a child, to adopt a child. We leave ourselves vulnerable in ways that we probably didn't imagine before we stepped into that place. Um, we can have a, a broken heart in ways that we've never had a broken heart before. They can invite us to, to, to the vulnerability of pain, uh, of suffering when we see them hurt, or rejection when they reject us. It's a vulnerable place to be. And so this morning we're going to talk about a story uh, kind of in a, in a different way. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Luke chapter 15 uh, this morning. It's a story that we've heard uh, many times before, but don't turn your brain off yet. Uh, we'll look at it uh, a little bit differently. Uh, but we're going to start and look at this story in Luke chapter 15 uh, and, and think about um, what it means to be the dad here and the story of the prodigal son. Before we start, this story is an interesting story, um, but this is one of the stories as we, we step into this, to know the seriousness of it, this is like one of the stories that G gets Jesus killed. Right? Like, this is the, an intense story. Uh, if you're like me, I don't know what your church background is, but I grew up always wondering, like, why would they kill Jesus? 
right? Like, he heals the people with leprosy. Like, he, like, brings Lazarus back from the dead. you think you'd want to keep a guy like that around, right? It's like, what's going on? And this is one of this chapter is one of the reasons that, that, that he is uh, killed because he's, he's, he's starting to ruffle some feathers in the eyes of some people that have some power, Right. And so we look at this and and Jesus kind of turns things upside down of what we think about how the world works and the way of the world and what it means to to have power and what grace means and all these different things. And we see some people, mainly uh, the Pharisees, religious leaders that are that are displaced of their power and also displaced of their 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 goodness, their their rightness as others are invited into the kingdom that they would not in their right mind ever let come close. And so this is one of those passages and when people feel powerless, uh, they uh, kind of hurt other people. And so have that in mind as we read this today. So this morning, starting in verse uh, 11, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, church, hear the word of the Lord this morning. It says this, now Jesus continued, and there was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants." So he got up and and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick. Bring the breast robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. So they began to celebrate. Well, meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Well, the older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I I could celebrate with my friends." But when the son, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. 
Well, it's always hard to preach on a familiar story. Um, I've told you before, you can ask my wife to verify. I watch a movie. I watch a show one time. That's all it gets. No reruns, no rewatches in my life. I don't like it. I can't do it unless it's like Roseanne from when I was a kid. It was like nostalgia. Yeah, don't, don't watch that, right? But, right, so I, I just don't do that. That's not a part of, of my life. I've got to have new stuff. My wife's shaking her head in disbelief, right? Some of people in here like Roseanne. It modeled their lives, right? Amen. Right? So I just don't, I don't like that. And so when I come to these familiar passages, I have to be reminded over and over again, like every year, that that's not how the Holy Spirit works, right? These passages of Scripture, these stories that we have, we could read them every day, and the Holy Spirit would use them in different ways every single day. And so may our eyes and our hearts be open uh, to what God has to say to us this morning. May we not be like I am sometimes, that raise our hands and say, yeah, I've already heard it. I've already seen it. I already know it. That's not always the case. So as we come to this passage, I want to think about something that's not usually something that we talk about. I've talked about it a couple of different times, but I want to ask the question, what about the vulnerability of God? Uh, we, we've talked about that a couple of different times, but we don't usually talk about it often, partly because there's so much other, so many other things to talk about God, like his strength and his power and his, his will and his, his grace, and he's the mighty creator, and we could go on and on and on. But what about the vulnerability of God? I think about the very act of creating humans, of, of breathing life into dust and creating us in God's own image. That When we think about it, we are all God's beloved children, those of us who are in church this morning, and also those of us who, who, are, who are not. I've got two kids, and that responsibility is enough for a lifetime, right? Amen. But we're talking about all people and all created things. What's it mean to be a God who has, has created these things? Now, like what an incredible risk that God took by breathing life into us, but not just breathing, breathing life into us, but breathing life into us and giving us freedom to do some things, to create some things, not only good things, but also bad things as well. Freedom to love, but also freedom to hate. Freedom to be, to be one that accepts, but also one that, that rejects the Father a, a, as well. As I read this familiar parable, I wonder if the words of Jesus let us in on what that might be like. This Father that has two sons. This Father that is in this place with these two sons that are, are different. Like right away in the story, we see the vulnerable position that the father's in. His son comes to him and he asks him for his inheritance. Verse 12, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided up his property between them. And for us, like this is, a, this is a weird request, right? Like it's like weird. Like, no, that's probably our response, what our response would be. No one really asks that, and, and no one really uh, does that uh, to, to their parents. Hey, you know, give me what's mine, right? Like, we just, that's just not weird, not normal. That's not weird. It's just weird. We just say no, like, go on, go make your own money. This is America, right? That's what we do. 
But but for the the original hearers of this uh, of this text and of this parable, like this is a really really big deal. I love stories like this because I always imagine like people in the crowd like audibly gasping at the stuff that Jesus says. Like we see it and it's kind of normal for us, but when, when people are hearing it for the first time, it's shocking. Right? Like, it's like shocking. Some of us, like, can't control our responses, like Pastor Stephanie, not naming names, right? But, like, like I just imagine in all of these texts that there's got to be a Pastor Stephanie in there who goes, oh my, right? That's just how it is. And so when Jesus is telling the story, now this son comes, he asks for his inheritance. In this context, and this is cultural, it basically meant, I don't want to wait anymore. I need you to die so you can give me your money. Right? Like, it's pretty strong. It's pretty intense. I'm tired of waiting. You're taking too long. I wish you would die already so I could get what I, what's mine. There's an author named Ken Bailey who who lived in that region of the world for quite some time. He wrote this. He said, for over 15 years, I've been asking the people of all walks of life, from Morocco to India, from Turkey to Sudan, about the implications of a son's request for his inheritance while the father's still living. And the answer has almost always been the same. The conversation goes like this. Has anyone made such a request in your village? No, never. Right? Has anyone ever ever made the, this request? Has anyone ever, um, or could anyone ever make such a request? No, absolutely not. It's impossible. If anyone would, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Right? That's what would happen. Why? Because this request means he wants his father to die. Right, this is a vulnerable place to be. And his own son comes to him and says, I want the money. I, I don't want you. I want the money. And I'm going to go do my own thing. The second verse of our parable, the father's approached by his son, is his own flesh and blood. And his son is basically saying, I just wish you weren't here so I can have your stuff. I, I wish you, you, you weren't here so I could have the things that, that I want. I want you to imagine with me for a second, those of you that you are our parents or, or those of us that have experienced any rejection in life, the pain that that might bring about in the Father. For some of this in the room, we're like, we've heard this statement from our kids. Maybe it was like a, a, a taking the way of a video game and it was not that serious. It was kind of funny and you chuckled a little bit. Or maybe it was serious. A rejection of who you are and a, and a desire for not you, but, but just your stuff. I can't imagine what this is like. I've had a, I don't like you, Dad. Like, that's like to the extent of it. I can't imagine what, what I would feel, but I know that I would instantly respond in anger and the desire to distance myself, to protect myself from pain, Right? That's, that's kind of what I do. But it'd also be followed with a get out of my house with that nonsense, right? Like we'd respond in different ways. Or, or, or boy, you better watch out. You don't know who you're asking. Or the I brought you into this world. Like that kind of, that, that kind of like, like attitude. But, but notice in verse 12, we don't get any of that. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so the father divides his estate up and he gives it to him. There's no, uh, there's no record of a good come to Jesus meeting. Like there's no spankings behind the barn. 
There's no shunning or scolding or beatings or, or, or anything like that. There's just the giving of the inheritance. Well, as I was reading this this morning, I, I stumbled across a couple different things that, that, that I've thought about, but not as extensively, and not thought about in this idea of grace. Like we talk sometimes as, as people, as believers of God, as children of God, as this idea of free will, but not as an idea of grace. But, but in essence, this is grace. Grace to go our own way. And to try our own things. That, that God will allow us to run our own way and to exhaust ourselves. But we've got to understand a couple uh, different things here. It's not just for fun. Right? Like God doesn't say, yeah, I'll give it to you. But it's going to be pretty fun to watch you suffer. <laughs> like some of us, I think, think that. Like, this is not just so we can wa- God can watch us suffer and fall and suffer and fall and suffer and fall. But there is a, there is a purpose that God gives us this grace that we, so that we might go our own way. It happens in hope. In Romans 1, you'll, you'll find this phrase over and over again. And the phrase is this, Therefore, God gave them over to. It happens over and over again. It's like four or five times. Therefore, God gave them over to, verse 24, over to the sinful desires of their heart. Verse 26, therefore, God gave them over to the shameful lust. 28, therefore, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Like they wanted this, they did this, and God gave them over to this. But we continue. If we stop there, we'd be pretty grim. We, can, we, we continue. That's pretty rough. Why would God do that? Like, think about your own kids. Like, why would you let your, your kids do some things when you know that they're going to they're gonna suffer for it? Well, why, why would that happen? If we, if we stop at that place, we, 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 we look at the Father and we say, stop him. Like, that's a stupid idea to give him that much money. You know he's just going to bomb it. You know he's just going to mess it up. But we continue. We find in Romans 8 that God has has subjected creation to to frustration or futility, not for fun, not to watch the world squirm and pay for our bad choices, but in hope. Romans 8, verse 20 and 21, that in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God of God. That that the father doesn't have to give anything to the boy. Like nothing. Zero. Nada. Nilch. Go to your room. You're grounded. You're in trouble. But the grace of God and the grace of the father lets him run where he wants to run. Not for fun, but in hope. In hope that, that this son might learn that the things of the world will not satisfy. Not some false coercion that you're going to stay and you're going to be mine and you're going to like it, right? But that he might actually learn something from this process. It's it's a grace and we just don't know it's a grace, nor do we like it as a grace. A reminder that God is still with us when we run and we run and we run and we run. 
and to add to the grace over and over again, God is not only with us, but God brings us to these intersections where we're confronted by his love in these pigsty moments where we, we've lost all. We've lost all hope. We've lost all things. We, we can't see a way forward. And God is there to call us home through his Holy Spirit. We've got the the vulnerability and yet the presence. We've got the grace to let us go and yet the the grace to chase after us. God's grace is, is flowing again and again and again. The son comes to the father, give me the money. The son takes the father's money. The son squanders the father's money. The son mocks the father's name around the region. The son comes to his senses with the pigs. And then he's crawling back home to become a slave. Because at least the slaves eat. But notice, grace again. The father is watching and waiting. The father is on the porch, ready to run. He's so full of love and compassion. And he's there and he's present. And he embraces him after the run. And you know that feeling like you're going home and, and, and you've probably never had this, right? You're going home and you know that mom or dad knows about what you've been doing in high school. And you are like just coming up with a story, right? Like a good story, not like a, not like a bad story, but a good story that's going to work. Right? And you're saying, you know, you've got it, but then you, you realize that that story's not going to work. There's no explanation. I'm just in trouble and so you, you start to come up with your speech of how you can like soften the blow of your punishment. And you're there and you're, you're, you're trying to go home and you're, you're working through how you can say this so that they'll have grace on you. And so this guy's coming home after this long journey away and he's embraced by the father. But notice as he begins to talk about that speech, and I've done this, just let me come back as a slave, that, that, that he's so full of love and compassion, the father is, that he doesn't even acknowledge the speech. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have the speech. <laughs> but he doesn't even acknowledge the speech. He doesn't say, son, your, your sins are forgiven. But he's there, he's so full of compassion, he's so excited. He didn't try to correct him right there, like, hey, somebody get my belt, he's home. <laughs> right? There's no correction in here. Do you know how much money you wasted? Like, you look like a bum. You know how long it took me to make that money? Like, do you know Jimmy across town saw you doing this? Right? There's none of that, right? Right in this place, there's, the, the, there's none of that. And he, and he says, you know, Dad, let me be one of your, your, your little servants just so I can, I can eat. And, and no, the father isn't having any of it. Get the robe. Get my ring. Turn on the barbecue. Call Johnny the DJ. We're going to have a party. He's home. Right? He, he, he's come back. And this is scandalous. Like, this is scandalous. In the, in the, 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 the eyes and the minds of the healer, hearers of, of the word, there were Pharisees who are complaining because the tax collectors and the sinners are gathering around to hear this story. And as they tell the story, the tax collectors are thinking, as that guy comes back, or, or the, the, the Pharisees are thinking, as that, as that guy comes back, that, you know, oh yeah, 
Jesus, tell them all they'll have to pay for that. Right? Like, tell them about the great punishment that they'll have from walking away from the Lord. And then on the other end, you've got the, the tax collectors and the sinners who are outside of, of, of what it means to, 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 to be in the, in the church and the people of God. They've been told, like, there's no hope for you. You can't come back from this. The, the prostitutes that, that have gathered, the sinners, the, the, those who have, have broken the, the, the rules and the laws of God, they have this in their mind, and yet here's this story of this young man who comes home, and the tax collectors and the sinners see a father who embraces, and the Pharisees see a father who doesn't punish. Like, this is insanity, like, this is like make you angry if you're on one side and make you cry if you're on the other. This is, this is scandalous. Jesus, or Jesus, the father in the story does not allow restitution. He doesn't say, you know, you're going to rake you know, goat poo for 42 years for this. You're going to pay this back and, and, and every penny that you, you took from this family and you went and squandered off. The father handles the offense. He doesn't let the son take it on himself. Some of us need to hear that this morning. He doesn't let the son or the daughter take it on themselves. He says, I've got this. You are my son or daughter. And here, here's my ring, which is my authority. And here's my robe, which is my cleanliness. And let's celebrate. Welcome home. And God's grace is extravagant. And God's grace is scandalous. And God's grace is present. Now, if, I went, if we went around the, the room and I took a little microphone and I asked you, like, what's prodigal mean? We just do, right? We get a lot of different words. Like, we'd get a lot of different things. It means like bad boy or rebel, the rebel son, or the, the wandering son, or the whatever. You, you, name the, you name what you think the prodigal means. But the definition is one that is wasteful and extravagant. They are wastefully extravagant in life. It's interesting, the word that's not even in the text, but this is a label that's added. It might even be in the chapter heading in your Bible, the prodigal son. But for me, it's interesting that the son, the wastefully extravagant son, becomes the star of the show. I think for us, the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter is kind of a familiar story. Like, we can find ourselves in that place, Right? Like, there's maybe a time in our life where we woke up, that we came to an intersection, we were confronted by God's love for us, we had this moment of conviction, and we realized we're in a place, and we don't know how we got there, and we don't like it. And there's that journey home, and what that means, and so we find ourselves in that place, and so our eyes and our minds are, are drawn to the place of the prodigal son. It's commonplace in our, in our world now. But... As we look at this story with, with fresh eyes, we look at this story in a, in a different way. If the word prodigal means wasteful extravagance, then I think this probably is a story about the prodigal father. One who is wastefully extravagant to one who has wandered far away and come home. 
Like, isn't it wastefully extravagant for his father to give his child so much freedom? Right, like to, to let the son walk away with all that cash and all that potential and all that hard work, knowing in his heart that it wasn't going to go as smoothly as he had hoped. Like, isn't it wastefully extravagant for the father to discard his dignity and to run into the street towards a foolish and immature son who has squandered his fortune? To, to meet him where he was and to hug and kiss him rather than slap and list off of all of his punishable offenses. Like, isn't it wastefully extravagant for the father to show, to show his love and to, to throw such a raging party for this kind of kid? To cover him in his, his best robe, to put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, to bring out the filet mignon when the boy really deserved a TV dinner. Like, that's wastefully extravagant. It's, it's over the top. It's too much. If you were in that situation, it would be maybe a little bit different. If I was, for sure it would be. Let's sit down and talk, son, about what this means. But we see mercy and grace. And I love this kind of grace. This grace that makes some angry and some cry. This grace that makes you scratch your head because it just doesn't make sense. And, and, and the original hearers would have been shocked and appalled by the story because the son broke so many rules. He brought so much shame on this family and he deserved nothing. He deserved to be shunned. But that's not what happened. God's grace and his mercy happened that this is the kingdom way. This is the way of the Father. Max Lucado said this. said, the difference between mercy and grace, mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance, and grace gave him a feast. The difference between mercy and grace. The Father in this story is wastefully extravagant towards his younger son. But he's also the same towards his older son. The kid that never left home, the one who always did everything right, the one that was clean cut and, and works for his father, the one that feels entitled, who, who can't stomach going into a party to celebrate the return of his screw-up brother. Like, I think it's easier for us to relate to the prodigal and it's easier for us to raise our fist at the older son. Like, I don't like the older son at all, but I also cringe in the ways that I see that I am like the older son. The father says to the kid who's grumpy, who feels left out, all that is mine is yours. The father leaves the celebration of his life to go and find the one who sits outside. Man, what risks God takes on us. Children who, who waste everything in crazy living and also children who begrudge grace being extended to the people who clearly don't deserve it. But this is the risk that God has taken. Born in love. As our band comes and helps us to respond this morning, 
we recognize that, that God risks so much by loving us. But we also recognize by looking at the story, by living in this story, that we see that our relationship with God is not simply defined by our bad decisions or our wandering away. But our relationship with God is also not determined by how good we are and how much we've stayed. But our relationship is determined by the grace of God, the one who is wastefully extravagant in his love and his mercy. Well, as we come to the Lord today, may we remember and may we recognize that God is with us. May we keep that image in our minds and our hearts that even if we're far off today, God is a God who is there and present and one who runs to us. But during this Lenten season, may we reflect on what it means to run towards God. In just a moment, as our pastors come and help us get ready for communion, we are reminded that we are invited to the table today. We're invited to come participate and eat the bread and, and the cup, the, the, the body and the blood that was shed and broken for us. The grace extended to us. We're reminded that we don't have to be a member here and we don't have to uh, know a special handshake or do anything like that. But we are invited to come to receive the grace of God. 1 Corinthians says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Forever, you, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May we be people that come to receive the extravagant grace of God. Often as I get the, oh no, gasping for breath, what has he done feeling from Jack? I wonder how often God gets that for me. The love that uh, runs deep. Uh, the love that uh, lets me do the things that I want to do at times. But continually calls me to his way. It comes down to it. It's vulnerable to have a child. And it is born in love. Beloved church, when we find ourselves as the prodigal son or daughter, may we remember the nature of the return of that son or daughter. May we remember God's grace. When we find ourselves as the mother or father or friend or brother or sister or co-worker of the prodigal, may we lean into the kingdom way of living, not just extending mercy but being extravagant in our grace. May it be so among us this morning. Let's stand to receive the benediction today. Beloved, God's children, may you go from this place knowing and experiencing the extravagant generosity and grace of a God who loves you. 
May you be reminded of his love today. Go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed.